0: Oh, you need a contract Huh? you need a contract an agreement
1: um, so this podcast is going to be about a review of all of the important things that have happened in the last um, you know whenever it was I guess that was two years ago was it?
2: The Union Podcast.
1: Onion Podcast.
2: The Onion Podcast. Yeah. Yes.
1: Was it
0: two? Two?
2: No. no. Was it was a one year.
0: Yeah, because we had to deal with the law. The law just got passed. Yeah. Last, This uh, 2023. So it's been a year, roughly
1: 11 months. That's soon. And we're all back here now mm-hmm. for more Onion Podcasting. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. This is David. This is a Machination Log. Season 11, episode two. No one has heard the first episode that's on this podcast except for me. But Ryan, I can assure you, we talked a lot of shit about your film four process. Oh, man. Yep. So you have that to look forward to. All right.
0: Well, I'm just going to defend my process. All right. Go. Which is, one, there was very little wasted. All right. So in terms of like where people's complaints might come in, we were as if being as if. My pro my process did not lead us to be underprepared for anything. So first off, defense justified. I, I feel heavily vindicated. Here, here, absolutely. And second thing is is that you know there might be some traditionalists, you know, people who say we need certain things when making movies, like scripts and clear ideas of where we're going when we start. That is all unnecessary. The creative process is 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 a is an is an is an undefined space uh, that I dominate and control. So I feel uh, I feel vindicated by the product, um, and a
1: good time was had by all. So tend to agree. All right, good. Hey Anna, how's it going? Pretty good. All right. How's that onion happening?
2: Actually, not too bad.
1: What what uh, turnout did you get? You were supposed to hit sixty percent last year. I think that was the number you said.
2: Yeah, sixty percent. Um, and we are at fifty six percent.
1: That's below sixty, so that's bad. Yes. Okay. So what what happens if you don't get another four percent?
2: Then there's no reunion.
1: Oh. Would that be bad? Yes. Okay. Just confirm. I was under the impression, uh, Ryan. Would you say that's bad? I guess I'll ask the expert.
0: So there is a path,
1: right? So not
0: hitting sixty percent when the when you do the recertification vote. Means you'll need to then, you know, gather show of interest petitions so that you can trigger a recertification vote. Okay. So it's not the end of the world. And you being a worker, has that been communicated to you? Say that again. Has that has what I just said (laughs) been communicated to you? That like oh no okay very good yeah so they're they're the you're more than likely telling everyone like get to sixty percent or it's doomsday, um when in fact it isn't like yeah you'll have to get your um. Right, so the law basically says, you know, if you don't hit sixty percent, the union, um, thirty days after you refile, you'll be able to uh, apply for recertification thirty days after that. Oh, so it'll basically be like right certification votes. It's essentially what the process you'll go through will be the same as if you you had to form the union from scratch. Okay, which is you get a group of workers to find a bargaining unit. In this case, it is all in-unit people in Orange County. You'll need at least minimum 30% of that unit to sign a show of interest card or petition saying, yes, I want to be represented by this union. Um, Once you have that, then you'll be able to trigger administratively um, after that period, after you have to file, you know, refile for certification, and then you'll move to that vote at some point in the, in the, uh, uh, after you do that.
2: That makes me feel better. Yeah. But I won't tell other people that.
0: No, No, no.
2: Just keep signing up.
0: Yeah, well, that's... Because that is the only way to solve this problem, right? Right. And, like, at the end of the day, like, you know, there's going to be... So we've already experienced this where there's, like, you're going to receive some pushback from this and then, like, just put it all on, quote, the politicians because they're the ones that are the assholes doing this to you, to our union and to our rights, right? Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah. So, no, I mean, yeah, there is a a path forward, but it is, you know, running an election, which is, like, time-consuming and stressful, like, but... Exactly. You know, if we... Take the idea. So um, I guess we can talk about what Miami-Dade Teachers Union are going through right now. Yeah. OK, so um, they are the ones kind of like in the crosshairs of this whole, you know, pro-boss anti-union movement. Right. And the reason for that is, is that the lieutenant governor um, that ran against DeSantis in 2022, uh, 2022 um, uh, under with Crist was the uh, former or, or head of the Miami-Dade Teachers Union. They're also one of the like the largest locals. Right. So they cover all of the teachers in that county. And um, because they're a unified county, there, there's no distinction between like city or anything like that. Um, they're one of the largest unions in the state and possibly in the country. They're one of the, um, one of the oldest unions in the state um, as well. And so what's happened is that they refiled for certification in December. Uh, they also did so without all of the clear administrative rules for this process being written as well. So they were also uh, above 50 and under 60 is my understanding of their membership numbers, right? So they refiled under 60. They're likely going to have to move to a recertification vote. Um, but what the interesting thing that has happened is that a, a third union or a second union has popped up in this fight. Um, and that is essentially what we would call a boss union or a straw man union. And what it is is essentially I think it's called United Teachers of Dade. UTAD, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And it is a it is an entirely just a fake boss union. Oh wow. Yeah. So like normally what they'll do is like they'll what these fake unions usually do is just present themselves as quote the alternative and then have some usual attractor for people. And what will most likely happen is that they'll like have like a dues rate that's like absurdly low, like $5 a month, like some nominal dues rate. And the other challenging thing with that is that uh, your union, right, like the union that exists needs the 30% showing um, of like the total number of workers signed on these cards to trigger it. The new union only needs 10% in order to get on the ballot for the election vote as well. So when folks get their ballots in the mail, the choice will be between, no, I don't want to be represented. Yes, I want to be represented by the actual union. And, or yes, I want to be represented by this third union, this, this straw man boss union that exists.
2: That's horrifying.
0: Yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. And of course the like pernicious thing is that like mm-hmm. what their goal is is not to like like they don't wanna sway yes votes, right? The people that want a union, right? Like they're there excuse me, they don't want to sway no votes, right? Like like this third party, this boss union, their goal is to not turn nos into yeses, their goal is to turn yeses and then have them recommit to this other union, right? right. Like drawing down the actual pro-union vote and, and splitting it up. So it's, um, you know, this is allowed, of course, um, you know, because the laws are written by anti-union politicians. And so that's what's happening there now. So they've got, yes, three things, three things to vote for. And one is the only actual real option for representation. So
2: for these unions that pop up, are they usually run by who are they usually run by like who starts it
0: usually like the a consulting firm I believe like freedom foundation or some entity of that is usually like for um what they'll likely do is recruit like anti-union leaders to like be like the face right because like you know part of the biggest challenge like one of the most traditional ways you when you're forming a union is right like you want your pro-union people to be like front and center right like you want to like recognize that uh and and make the case to the workers that this is their union and it is worker-led and that it is representative of the workers because the the workers that want a union will be front and center in that struggle and, and communicating with people the reason you do that is because like the typically in, in like a yes union no union vote where it's just a you know a, a, yeah, an up or down vote between you want a union or you don't the the tactic of bosses is to third party the union, right? To say that it is outsiders. It's, uh, you know, like they represent interests. They don't represent you. They only want your money. You know, they're they're just, you know, trying to, to hoodwink you essentially into joining a union because it's the union that is like greedy for your money, right? right. And that's like a lot of what like, you know, even when the law is like, um, they call it the pay tech protection act, right? So that it's like, you know, we're wanting to protect you from these like greedy Unions that just want your money and won't do anything for you All right And the way you counter that is by saying like well actually like if you want to talk to the union You can talk to your colleagues who are actually pushing and fighting for this union for you Right, so, you know, don't talk to an organizer talk to an actual person who want uh, a worker at this uh, at this employer who wants a union and um, So they'll likely recruit some anti-union people to be, like, their spokespeople to, like, counter the same thing, right, to essentially adopt the tactics of the union. Um, And then also, like, you know, just to then to just create confusion, right? Like, who's the union? What's the union? So, you know, you do need, and I hate to use the the term, like, but you do need a strong, like, branding campaign so that workers understand that, like, the union that has existed is called this. It is, like, a clear choice. Um, so for like us, right? Like, or I won't use us as an example, right? Like for like the unions, um, you know, um, initials or what is it like when they're like aaa acronym. yeah, okay. the acronym, right? Like they might even choose a similar acronym, right? So if our union is called like, you know, AAA, right? Like they might also choose a union that is whose acronym is AAA, just have different words, different A words, you know? So like, yeah, no, it gets, yeah. it's so shady and so shitty that what they could do, um, and so we're, if you, you know, we're really seeing a test case in Miami-Dade, one, because they were the first to kind of like recertify, they're big, they're symbolic, and also it's where the Freedom Foundation and, you know, these anti-union forces are just pumping in a lot of resources to fight them. Yeah. But ultimately, it's a good, it's a good place to be, right? Like knowing that you have a majority of membership, one, like you'll assume that there will be a lot of, you know, there's a lot of potential yes votes. Yes. Right? Two. Uh, the people that say no to unions generally are individualists, right? Like, oh, you know, like I'm on my own. I, I can represent myself. I don't need the union, all that kind of stuff. Um, three, which means they don't tend to have a pull to be like naturally, um, you know, centralized or a desire to like organize among themselves. So, you know, they tend to be pretty disparate, unengaged, uninformed kind of people, um, which means like, doesn't mean they won't be motivated to vote, but like, as far as like you know a union's ability to like develop a strategy, have a turnout, coordinate among large groups of people, right? Yeah. Like you, you know that's the advantage that every union will have to face in these struggles. You know, really, our strategy is the same. You know, our relig- our strategy is the same as always to form it, which is like motivate our people to vote and don't help the no votes vote, right? Because we right. Know, you know like they want information, you know, like you know go get it. Like we're not here to give you, you know, like we're not a new we're not neutral in this, right? And I think that's. One of the weird things when it comes to, like, voting and why I don't think, like, you know, voting is the right way that unions should be formed in these kind of situations. Because, like, voting is, like, well, it's every person's own choice. And in America, we have, like, a lot of fucked up ways of thinking about politics, which is, like, you know, like, anything I vote for, I don't come from a sense of, like, like mission or purpose. I vote the way my conscience tells me to, you know, and that's absurd. Like, you know, like we don't have any like ideology or, or set of values that we vote from, right? Like I'm just going to value each choice as a discrete decision with no context or, or applicability in, in the situation I'm in, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to weigh it on the merits and make my decision as an individual. And like, that's just like, you know, like that's no way to run a country that's no way to run
1: a railroad. Uh, it's one way. It's just a strange way. Yeah. I mean, it's the the education system is absolutely critical to <laughs> proper, proper democracy. But there are more than one way, as you alluded to there, Ryan. There's more than one way to even interpret your own place in a democracy. Because the fact that you have one vote can very easily mean a vote in your perfect self-interest. And it can also mean a vote as if you were the God King. Mm-hmm. And different people interpret that differently. And unfortunately, uh, conservatives uh, tend to be a lot better about the self-interest part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much, much better at proving that they are right through action, um, telling you things are broken, and then breaking them, and then tell you <laughs> that they're broken yeah. and therefore cannot <laughs> be relied upon. Yeah. Um, which I can't fault them for. It's a very, very effective way to go about things because memories are short. And again, that falls back into education. But um, yeah, it, it still feels a little awkward to be expressly anti-democratic when it comes to things like organization. But there's going to come a time sooner than later where people start being more suspect of that. Um, you can feel that coming at a national level the number of elections that are contested on some basic level mm-hmm. yeah. is rising dramatically. So uh, it probably doesn't hurt to get out ahead of that because you will not have the finger pointed at you anymore for being a little bit underhanded about it as long as you're doing so legally. Um And even maybe illegally, depending on uh, how things go. But we don't endorse that here on the Back Nation Logs. So, oh no, you can find your own podcast to do that. We're we're not going to be the first podcast to get banned off Apple Podcasts. Um, We're gonna we're gonna hold to that. Um, How have things been school administratively wise this year, Anna?
2: Well, for me specifically, it's been pretty great. That's Um, democracy
1: in action, right there.
2: Yeah. Me, personally, I feel fine. Um, I would say that I have a great principal who fights for us uh, when she has to meet uh, at the district level. And she's kept us safe, air quote, from a lot of things. And I think what... Motivates her to do that is she's married to a teacher, and I think that a lot of
1: oh so conflict of interest. I see.
2: Yeah, uh, you can tell administrators who were not teachers for very long and are not really actually friends with teachers because they tend to run their schools they like a business yeah, okay. rather than a place of learning for kids. It's about kids, and she cares about them and. That's why I'm a teacher. So we have a lot of shared interests in how to run a school.
1: How many books have you got, banned so far?
2: Well, technically, I still have uh, like 800 that I was supposed to <laughs> remove from my room. Uh, and What so happened
1: to those ones?
2: They're still there. Okay. My kids read them. Very good. Um, I do not subscribe to being told that my kids should not have access to literature that is two grade levels below or above. That's just insane.
1: Yeah, That's... just just to outline that specifically, since I was taken aback by this, everyone's under the impression they're just banning all the books with gay kids in them. But uh, the actual regime, as I understand it, is f- actually far more insane than that. Um...
2: Yeah, so every book uh, can be... Described on a level using something called Lexile and so the Lexile level is used nationally and so when you um, Scan a book for the most part somewhere on a website. It'll tell you the Age level that it's for and so what our county did to comply with the state law is they had to come up with a way to air quote monitor literature in some way. And so how we're monitoring it is that um, I had to scan every book with an app that the county bought. And then my book was uploaded to a program that told me the Lexile level. And if it is, I teach third grade. And so if it's a fifth grade book or above, or a first grade or below, I can't have it in my room.
0: Not allowed to have it in your room.
2: Yes. I was told when I signed something that said, yes, I removed it physically from school property.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. So the law...
2: Can't even put it in your storage room.
0: Okay. So the <laughs> law, it de- it depends on the, the administration of the school district to enforce itself, right? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. All right.
2: Yeah. So over the summer... Last summer, uh, our district had to submit some sort of proposal to the state to get it approved about how we were going to have to monitor. And so by the end, so yeah, by the end of uh, last March, uh, when it finally came out, we had a week to decide if we were going to completely remove every book from our room or if we were going to And this was per teacher. So a teacher Mm -hmm. could decide that they didn't want to have any books in their room. Or they could comply and say, yes, I will use this process to scan my books. And we had about, I think, three weeks to get it done because they had to submit it to the state. So they brought in a bunch of parent volunteers. Um, They paid us for a half day to do it. um, So we wouldn't, you know, have to do anything before or after school that we didn't have to. Uh, I mean, it's easy to scan a book, but...
0: You mean it's just the cover you're scanning, right? Or The uh, the barcode. Barcode, okay.
2: Um, And then if it didn't pop up, you had to type it in. Very good. So I just did not type it in. (gasps) I don't... uh, No, absolutely not. So (laughs) am I, like, legally complying with most laws absolutely Absolutely. oh yes yes absolutely i'm complying everything i've signed is true
0: so to the best of your knowledge yeah yeah so I, i did want to maybe circle back on these um these parent volunteers i mean who by and large who and what did these people look like
2: they're the parents who do volunteer at the school that I work at are very, very kind and very nice. Okay, and so they, these weren't
0: like particularly crusading moms for liberty volunteers. I was going to say, anything. we call yeah. them
1: brown shirts. Is that a, is that a brown purple? shirts? What anyway? Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um.
2: They no. The parents that we have currently uh, who volunteer a lot are very, very, very. Uh, how do I want to put this? They are there to help us because we help their kids nice okay and they 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 come from a very good place we used to have several years ago an influx of spies where Mm. we there were parents who were getting certified to be subs for the sole purpose of spying on other teachers
1: Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah
2: so yeah so that got shady absolutely but now we're i mean
1: i love that level of intrigue at a school like that that's amazing yeah there was a I think, about like that. two
2: or three, and then you know you meet in the park after school. Literally, the park, right by there. So.
1: Yeah. Again, no. This sounds awesome. Was I there when this was happening? No. Okay. Okay. So I have to bring it back. Is what I'm saying.
0: Okay. Yeah. But for the forces of good.
1: Did any of the teacher? Do you know any or how many teachers took the deal to just uh, remove all literature from there? None. Okay. That's what I like to hear.
0: So yeah, so there are no you're no in less compliance than other professionals in your
1: area.
2: Oh no, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm just trying to imagine uh which uh John Wick type Latin-esque term would apply in that case. <laughs> removing all of the, the books. Yeah, no, that that seems like it continues to suck. Or doesn't. I mean it's it's on paper it sucks. But then uh go into class, teach some kids. That's correct. Get that business taken care of. Yep.
0: Yep. Well, but it's also kind of like you know the weird as we're like facing down the possibility of like another Trump like you know term in office, right? Like, you know, the you know I know there are people, and I don't mean to you know disparage anyone who is like afraid of this. I mean, obviously it would be it would be better if he didn't get elected. And let's just say that outright. But also like. You know, it also like this I think this incident kind of demonstrates the fact that like because Republicans today have like an aversion to governing, right? That like the government shouldn't be doing something. They can't therefore pass laws where in order to like effectively implement them, the government would have to like do something. Correct. Because like we're facing the same situation with the law where like the Public Employees Relations Commission perk that would be enforcing the effects of SB two fifty-six, meaning, you know, evaluating all the applications, um, you know, of of recertification, setting up structures in place to, like, implement all of these recertification votes, which will run into the literal hundreds and hundreds of possible elections that will need to be run, evaluating all of the criteria for triggering those in any sort of effective way is, like, virtually impossible between four people in an office in Tallahassee. So in order to, like, implement this law effectively, they would need to, like, fund it and hire people and then, like, have them be you know, trained professionals who have the capability of being, of doing like oversight. And then also like, you know, an administrative capacity to then like, you know, create obstructions or or deficiencies. So, you know, like a lot of it, their strategy is mostly like, you know, create tension, right? To then, um, you know, craft a message that appeals to people to quote, do something about it, um, but ultimately, something that they themselves can't see through because their, very, their their philosophy of government prevents them from actually doing it effectively.
1: Yeah, it turns out that that work can all be done. It's just very hard if you don't believe in anything. Yeah.
0: So I could imagine them like. Oh my God, you know, like because of all the books you scanned, they can then like as Republicans say like, well, we banned X amount of books from these classrooms and it could be like a gigantic number, right? Because it's like 67 counties, you know, like doing this and it's like, look at all these books we've banned. And like, you know, like that's a headline and that's really all they're looking for is to like create the impression that something's been done.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to... uh relay to as many coworkers as I can when they start panicking is that there's no way anyone's going to check this. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, um, again, this year we had to have every parent sign a piece of paper saying that we are allowed to call their child by something other than their birth certificate name. Mm -hmm. So like, um, let's say you have a Thomas, Mm -hmm. you can't call him Tom. Unless mm-hmm. the parent signed the paper that said these are the allowable nicknames for you to call my child. Okay. So you send home the paper, uh, but then at the end of the day you let the kid tell you what they want to be called. Mm-hmm. I mean, I so on paper we did it, and Republicans can say, Look, at all these teachers complying, yep. they send it home, parents send it back, and it's just for show.
0: Well, but also, like, you, you can't, like, any, you can imagine how this, like, how anything would come to the attention of, like, that specific rule, right? would be, like, one person, one, one parent complaining. Right. And then it's, like, you know, like, all you have is, like, one instance. There's no way for them to, like, verify, prove, or otherwise, like, demonstrate some sort of, like, wider conspiracy to overcome this, like, ridiculous law. It's just, like, you know, I made a mistake. I thought I got the form back. Or, like, the child cries every time I call them Theodore instead of Theo. Like... <laughs> You know, like... Exactly. Yep, totally. No, you know, and then it's not like... It's like, once again, it's not some, like, grand conspiracy that they... Because they can't even, like, as an entity, like, back up anything they do. They're just, like, they're, you know, like, they're rather inept when it comes to, like, enforcing something that's up to another entity to enforce for them.
2: Exactly. And it's about this... The whole theme of of every law that has directly affected me in my classroom is all about parent choice. Yeah. Because they want... That's the education Republican theme is... Parent choice. You have a voice. You should be able to decide what books are in the room, how your kids learn, what they learn. And, but yeah, it's just for show.
0: Yeah. Well, we had a similar thing in, in higher ed. I, I jumped out of higher ed by this time, but they had the um, the ideological survey that went out to all the college professors. And so we had to fill them out and you know What'd you come of, back as? Um I did so I was out by that time. But oh, okay, I didn't have right, an opportunity right. to take it. Mm. But my theory was like I was gonna be honest, but like ultimately what I told people was like, you know, like um, you know, you don't have to like tell the truth. Like you can just lie and, you know, like give them the answer you want they want. Like there's nothing you're not signing some sort of like perjury form, like before you take <laughs> this kind of thing. Like
1: it's not a subpoena.
0: No, it's like, you know, like you know, lie. Like, like, would they have to fill it out? I'm like, you know, if they if they insist that you fill it out, like, f- sure, fill it out. And then give them what they want to hear. Like, there's no, like, it's it's strange how people... Beca- oh, once again, like, I understand the, the, the symbolism is very troubling, that what, what this might, what this could mean. Right. Right. But also, like, you know, like, if you're worried that, like, your honest opinion will get you fired, then don't be honest. Like, just... You know, like lie, like there's a way around this, and it's very simple. Like, don't, like, stop worrying so goddamn much that, like, but it, but once again, like, the funny thing was, was that, like, the idea of like lying was like, oh my god, we could, we could actually, like, we can do that. I'm like, yeah, like, why not? (laughs) not? Like, like, (laughs) Jesus, like, you're, you, you feel you're being faced with a, with a fascist like takeover of your school, and your immediate response is like. Man, I'm gonna get in so much trouble when I'm totally honest on this fascist form. Like, Jesus Christ! Like, come on! Right. Like, have, you say you're the resistance. Like,
1: do the basic level of resistance, which is just lie. lie. Like, No, I mean that's that's the wall that liberalism runs up against. Is that it is it I'm, is wed to the machine, and I've got to be a good boy. Like, I've got to be good. Well, like, that's and, what I'm supposed to well, do. Well, as long as the train is heading in the right direction, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But when the grand strategic objective. Deflects. You have to do something about it. You have to stop the train. You can't. Keeping the whichever whichever metaphor or wheels greased. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you do with a train. Right. You don't. You don't keep shoveling the coal in. Yeah. Yeah. But like what I tried
0: to emphasize was like look like what about this like I did the same argument. It was like what about this regime. Has led you to believe that they're capable of following through with fucking anything?
1: No, and again, like, philosophically, they're incapable of it because their their belief system is based on a distrust of institutions. Mm-hmm. So why would they be any good at commandeering them? Yeah. Well, and also hilariously, like you know, so much of like
0: the conservative movements, like you know, part of their their you know not raison d'etre, but like their what they instill as their You know, legitimacy to implement this type of program is based on their own like personal virtue, which, in a weird way, right? Like we're all libs, like in a a capital L liberal sense, right? We're all libs, right? Like in the sense that like my personal virtue is what is what can you know give this project and or organization legitimacy.
1: We're all Christians. There's no getting around. We're (laughs) atheist Christians, Jewish Christians. Like this is all. So like, um, and of course,
0: like what have we seen with, within the, the very conservative movement, uh, you know, the, um, the strictures of the, even the the Florida Republican party is of course, like a personal sex scandal has like roiled this thing, like right during this time period. So like the, the chair of the Republican party in Florida or the, one of the entities, I don't know if it's the specific Republican party of Florida, um, of course has had to resign because of a sex scandal involving like their own hanky panky, you know, internet sexuality, um. You know, not conforming to this like bizarre, chaste, extreme evangelical mode of like Christianity. So, like, themselves are, you know, succumbing to their, to the very, like, you know, to their own, um, to their own inability to actually live or implement the, 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 you know, this ideal vision of what they're trying to enforce of like, quote, family values is how it's been labeled since like the 70s. Uh,
1: unless they type in the alt right cheat code, in yeah. which case you can be Mad Gates. But the, um, We'll see how long that goes for. Yeah, but it's
0: it's then then your only legitimate your only le- legitimation is like the zeal you have in fighting the enemy. But as we've mm. already discussed, they're they're incapable of like you know those those the Marjorie Taylor Greens and Matt Gates is they're the least effective people. Like all they've been able to do is fuck up their own party in Congress. Yep. Like that's like the, the only accomplishment they have is like you know unprecedentedly removing a spe- a sitting Speaker of the House like. Other than that, like, what have they been actually able to realize in their own agenda?
1: Nothing. To quote the old Paragord, Talleyrand quote, uh, the only thing you can't do with a bayonet is sit on it. Yep. Um, and <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, they bear that out quite well. So. Like, it sucks that they have all the power they have. Also, they have no idea how to wield it. Yeah. So...
0: No, it's just – but it's it's just one of the frustrating things I find when, like, talking to people or voters is that, like, nobody gives them the credit they deserve for, try, for trying to implement and having implemented the program they've wanted to implement, which is, like, government should be smaller, weaker, and basically incompetent. And, like, people are like, well, the government doesn't do anything. And it's like, exactly. Like, so why don't you give credence to the people that hold that philosophy – and like, you know, like, and, and, and vote for them. Like, you know, you're surprised when you vote for Republicans that the government's incapable of doing things, but nobody gives them credit for doing the very thing they say they want to do. And yeah. like, that's just like, once again, like, you know, you can, we can, we can have that situation happen when you have the philosophy of voting we have in this country, you know, like, which is like, you know, I'm not actually listening to the message, but if I like believe this person is a good person or whatever, like that, you know, like, come on, like, you yeah. know, like I like their presentation or the cut of their jib
1: yeah oh oh no that's one of the most infuriating things about the concept of judge of character and it's it's something that um eventually I may want to try to explore not quite in a debate fashion but at least a pugilistic one um that bill clinton uh it does it doesn't really matter at the state level that he is potentially a um a monstrously reprehensible person mm-hmm. if you can run the government as an administration. Like he did, and it's getting increasingly difficult not to see him as the best president we've had in a long, long while. Just based on the stability that the country was afforded, and the pro- there were obviously external factors, but right, the ship was sailing during that time. And uh, blowjobs and you know, child incidents aside, some proven, some unproven. Um, Everyone has vices, and I'm not trying to excuse that. Should he be in jail? Sure. Uh, he was a great president. So I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> and and no, one, no one else knows how to judge it either. Because yeah. none, of, none of these people, like, very few of these people are personally virtuous. Biden kind of is, for all in, and yet is reprehensible in the place where we should actually care about it, which is statecraft. Yeah. Um, you know, Trump is reprehensible in person and, um, you know. He's, he's he's out there doing his own thing. Well, does. and it's weird too,
0: because like you know, self-sorting is kind of like broken down. You know, like you know, independents themselves are self-sorting, still calling themselves independents, but ultimately like still self-sorting to like you know to be as to behave as, in a in the same partisan faction as those who identify with the party. So like you know, like really, you know, twenty fourteen to twenty eighteen. The economy objectively, right, was doing base was 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 churning along, right, like two percent growth, like you know modest deficits, like job creation stable, like all that kind of shit, right. So when people say like, because there's been a lot of this hoo ha coming out with the um with the Republican primary coming out was like people saying like, man, the economy under Trump was amazing or awesome, and it was really just like the first two years, right, were like continuing on with you know like the the two years that preceded it, and then it like stagnated and humped out and i know the pandemic was just you know a giant like pomegranate bomb like in the middle uh-huh. of that but like you know there wasn't like it once again was just the feeling that it was like carrying on that way and it's like you know since then like you know the, the economy uh, aside from inflation is like you know job growth numbers um gdp all those kind of factors are still coming in but it's still like there's no credit given like the, the, the share of people who are willing to like say as the, uh as uh, Compared to the Clinton years that, like, you know, shit's moving forward. Like, you know, like the economy is doing well. Like, I feel personal. Like, there's less, you know, nonpartisan judgment of things like that, right? Like, now it'll just be like, you know, like, I had a job through most of Trump's years. Therefore, it's good. And I'm in the same situation under Biden. But, like, I'm not, like, objectively looking at this, right? Like, I feel like I want him back. And uh, that's all there is. Like, there's no, you know, the immiseration will continue, until yeah. prosperity happens
1: yeah it's it, there's it's totally decoupled and a lot of that a lot of that I imagine is just that everybody is steeped in politics so much that you can't you can't intelligently assess where we are compared to where we were because it's being mediated almost entirely through political speech mm-hmm. um, in a way that I've been told I'm not old enough to know uh, that it didn't used to be this way I mean obviously everyone went completely insane in 2016. But it also really doesn't seem like it calmed down. No. It, mm-hmm.
0: No, like, like the, like the this is like what is crazy, you know, like, being, you know, I was 19 years old on 9-11, right? So, like, you know, seeing the Bush years in full effect and being, like, a draft age eligible reasonably healthy male, like, that shit was, like, scary. Like, I was, like, really fucking scared that, mm-hmm. like, you know, draft is coming, it's going to be fucking Vietnam, um, you know. And then also, like, you know, remembering the kind of, like, you know, insane, the insane fear and reaction of like, you know, how people talked about like the, you know, people that weren't Americans and, you know, like, I don't, it's just troubling that (laughs) what Trump represents while being a, in, in a degree and style different than what happened, the message is still the same. Like, you know, immigrants are coming into this country they're destroying the fabric of Americanness. Um, you know, brown people in other countries resisting us are are are, are our enemies, um, and we have to treat them as harshly and violently as possible. Like, you know, wind the clock back twenty years, and it's the it's like what you know. Find me the difference. Like, find me the find me the, find me what's different today than, it was, than in that core message than it was twenty
1: years ago. The New York Times put out maybe the most iconic headline about American Empire I have ever seen the other day. Uh, it read something to the effect of, "Quote: Who are the Houthis and why are we attacking them?" <laughs> it's an amazing, an amazing thing to print in the newspaper of record that we're we're currently bombing people, yeah, and we need a primer on who the fuck they are because yes. we don't we. Like, well, but yeah. literally, shoot first, ask questions later. Well,
0: but, but like theoretically, we're as a democracy, we're supposed to have like a say in this. Yeah. Like, like Congress should have voted. We should have had a debate. Like this, there should have been like, no, no. It's just it is yeah. It's stripped from our ability to decide
1: on it, and yeah. you know. And interestingly enough, again, that cynicism that generates people like Trump, and I think the cynicism is where there's a difference between 2000 and 2016. Um, if I had to, if I had to guess at what the difference is, um, is that the, uh, the cynicism is a little bit stronger than it used to be. But,
0: um, yeah, I think because like having, we, like there was that, you know, I guess theoretically you're right. Like there technically was a quote debate around like what to do with this massive military after nine eleven where like there's no longer like a debate on these kind of things now. Right.
1: Like it's, it's like, yeah, like. Oh, well, and I i even mean things as simple as... Uh, tr- actually, Trump exemplified this uh, very well recently. Um, he's not... Uh, calling Trump alt-right doesn't make a lot of sense. And quotes like this one um, explain that. Nikki Haley gave some response in a debate about what the, the purpose of the Civil War was. She didn't bring up slavery. And then Trump in a town hall that he hosted by himself, uh, Chad that he is, he's not, yeah. a, he's not a Republican. He's just... He's Trump. Um made fun of that response and said, like, obviously slavery is the is the reason why the civil war happened and at the very least that makes more sense than spouting off three paragraphs worth of bullshit. All right. Which goes against everybody that everyone thinks is like it, it's not that they're not aligned with Trump. All of his supporters, theoretically in the back of our minds, at least all of us good lowercase liberals, think they must know the truth and they're just obscuring it. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that's true. Um But all of them have to dodge around this point. They all have to come up with this states' rights argument. And then their god king just says, yeah, no, it's obviously this. Mm -hmm. And suffers no consequences for that. Right. Um, And I don't get the impression that Bush could get away with that. No. Um, Because Bush, there's a decorum there that Trump does not share. And even though the cynicism has spread through us, uh, Trump is actually wielding it in a way that the rest of us can only imagine. So I, I think that's the difference. The arguments are all the same. It's just Trump feels like if if Trump were to reverse all of his positions on basically everything tomorrow, I don't know that his base would change very much. No, not really. I think, I think that's where the difference is, um, is we've truly entered the age of celebrity. Um, it's not good. I don't like it. I'm not a fan. No. As a machine man. Yeah, no. (laughs) I'm an intensely machine man. Anna, are the children learning? Yes. Good. Do we have numbers to prove that? I do. All right. Very good. Because I saw some numbers on (laughs) USAFacts.org. Oh, God. Steve Ballmer's own (laughs) nonpartisan USA Transparency Project. Uh, that uh, a bunch of the numbers were going down. Is this trend reversing?
2: Well, what numbers?
1: Um, reading, I'd have to look them up. So let's math. go with reading and math.
2: Reading. So the currently the students that I have um, are the ones who, if they were in pre-K, they had to get out of pre-K because COVID happened, and more than half of them did kindergarten online. And so I think that...
1: The future.
2: When... I think it affects the little kids more than obviously big kids, uh, adults, uh, because you learn how to read in kindergarten first, most of second grade. Then you're reading to learn after that is the idea. That's like the hope. Um, And so if you did kindergarten online, if you didn't have a good stable home support system, you didn't learn anything in kindergarten. So these kids, they are either thriving or they are illiterate. Uh, this group of kids that we have, um, we have some of the highest like data for reading math we've ever seen and also the lowest. Um, and again, I think that just speaks to how they were able to learn at home. Like I have two kids who this is their first. Last year was the first time that they were in a school. Mm -hmm. Because they did everything online because, you know, even after we were cleared to all come back face to face, a lot of parents were still worried about, you know, being, if they had immune problems and, uh, oh, a graph. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So with the data that I have, which is 11 years of doing this, um, I think after this, reading will get back on track, but reading has, it took a big hit. And I think that this group of kids, we're going to, I want to follow them all the way through them being 18 because I, there's so many who still can't read and you don't learn how to read in a year. You can't, mm-hmm. if you, if you can't read by the time you're nine, you're not going to be, you're going to be behind for the rest of your life. Okay. Um, and so
0: without like some sort of deep personal commitment to overcome it, it, right? it, it
2: would ha it would have to be, I mean, public education is is meant for the uh, you know middle-of-the-road average kid. Mm-hmm. That's what public education is for. It doesn't support the really, really high kids. It doesn't support the really, really low kids. Because what you need is you need people. Mm-hmm. And what we don't have, we don't have money to pay people to help kids who can't read. All we have is, uh, it's me. Mm-hmm. I'm certified in a lot of different things um, that says... You know, like, I can teach high kids, I can teach gifted kids, I can teach ESL kids, kids who, you Mm -hmm. know, English wasn't their first language. I'm certified in all these things, but at the end of the day, it's still one person having to teach all of these ranges of ability. Um, And, I mean, it's not going to change until we get more people. Uh, Proficiency, is this... Like in America? I assume it's... USA. USA. Yeah, I
1: assume it's America-wide. We're looking at a graph that is labeled proficiency in math and reading. The x-axis goes from 1990 to 2020, and the y-axis goes from 0 to 40% proficient, which seems awfully low, but uh, we'll go with it. And there's four lines. uh, Two for math, two for reading at different grades. And uh, the lines... Trend upward starting from 1990, plateau around 2005, and then start dipping at about 2019.
2: So I don't know when No Child Left Behind started, but I...
0: 203. Okay. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Um, Once we started saying that no child should be left behind, uh, a whole bunch of kids got left behind. In Florida specifically, we have gone with the state standardized assessment... And so that's what I'm, what I'm thinking of is, you know, every, every state has like the assessment that they use statewide. And so I'm assuming what they're doing is they're looking at every state and whatever they're using. So like, uh, we had the, um, FCAT Mm -hmm. going on, uh, and then after FCAT, there's a sub sandwich. Um, you know, so we had FCAT until the FSA started. Um, which was like twenty fifteen. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're judging these kids based on a set of standards that teachers have been teaching for, you know, 10, 15 years. And then, you know, governors change and now all of a sudden, well, we're gonna we're gonna do the FSA. we we hired this company and we wanna be competitive with other states, other countries, and so 2015 we get a new uh for florida we get a, a brand new state test
0: yeah with um um the scott regime right yeah yeah so
2: so we so we have the fsa um and then we're in what year is this 2023 so this is the third yeah so then we, we get desantis and desantis is like we have to get rid of common core which is not even really at the end of the day we weren't teaching common core. anyway but, you know, it was a, a talking point. We have get to get people, rid of the
0: idea of it. We have like, to get yeah. rid of the
2: idea, you know, and he scared parents into saying, like, look, we're going to change all these standards. Your kids are going to be smarter than ever. Uh, and really all he did was change the FSA to the FAST. So we added a letter and we mixed it up. Did uh, that
1: improve test scores? Adding a letter.
2: Well, this is the second year that we're doing it and so far they've changed i actually have a paper in front of me Ooh. please know the scale scores have been adjusted i get an alert we, we give this test three times a year so last year was the first year and this year is the second year uh for a standardized test usually it's you take one test at the end of the year this we give it three times and and
1: it's holding up a binder that has a A piece of LaserJet paper um, with, please know the scale scores have been adjusted.
2: Below are the new scale scores for FAST. So I I know what the word standardized means. (laughs) And I'm not entirely sure that, you know, we took the test three times last year. We did PM1, PM2. So this test has been given five times. And I have gotten a piece of paper that says, please know the scale scores have been adjusted three times. Nice. So at this point in the state of florida i have no idea how they're judging how the kids are doing for me as a teacher what i do is i look at how they start at the beginning of the year and i want to see growth <laughs> right they come to me at a certain level and my i what has made given me a lot of peace and made me not quit especially teaching a grade where it's a um, mandatory retention if they don't pass Is as long as I see that every kid has made growth, I did my job. Mm -hmm. Um, Meeting a set of standards at the end of the year. If you came illiterate, but now you can read like 40 words a minute. Mm -hmm. Are you still behind? Yeah. But you went from zero to 40 words a minute. Absolutely. Yeah. And so to me, growth is what I care about. It's not what the county cares about. It's not what the state cares about. But I know I did my job. And so to me, as long as I'm doing that, they'll do okay on whatever test is. But again, we had a full day of data where they paid for sub, they never do this. They paid for a bunch of subs and we sat down as a grade level and we're like, how do you think your kids are doing? And so we looked at the first and the second um, progress monitoring for FAST. Obviously we had to adjust their scores. Um, and then we look at the assessments that we've been giving them and have to, and we were deciding, you know, how they're doing in class. Is it, is it showing up on a test? Um, and to me overall, when you look at the actual numbers, like we're doing really well, at least in my grade level, um, what, what the state and then the district want you to do. No teacher will ever be able to accomplish everything that they give us to do. Mm-hmm. So you have to pick based on not just what grade you teach, but the class you have, yep. what's best for them. Because this class overall is very different than the class you know I had two years ago. So you adjust your teaching style based on what you have.
1: Based yes. on the number of twins you have in the classroom. Huh? How much does that factor into it? Oh, my
2: twins. Oh, I love them so much. We have... Um, so another set of twins had moved and so in third grade uh we were going to have five sets of twins nice i thought that was a pretty cool genetic anomaly thing going on well no but
0: it's mm. i think it you know obviously there is in any sort of like massive system like this like you know there. so you know i'm not i'm calling myself an educator but i was a professor for a while <laughs> right and you know I'm, uh i had a very similar philosophy of like bringing this in right that like at the end of the day You've put yourself, and the college is different because they choose to be there, theoretically. Which was (laughs) that, like, you know, you've chosen to take on this challenge, right? Yeah. So, therefore, like, you have, you know, like, what my role is, is to push you beyond where you were when you came into this class in any subject matter or skill set. For this discipline, right? So, for, uh, you know, obviously, it's like knowledge, skills, you know, um, hard and soft capabilities within that, right? And, you know, like... I had a very narrow set of what I knew I wanted each person to accomplish. And then it was like the same thing, right? Like seeing, you know, even, and, and it's weird as like when you're doing this as like an instructor that you can actually just through, re, you know, like if I had like hypothetically like three writing projects through a semester, right? Like one leading to the other, leading to the other, just doing like the, the rote automatic grading that I was doing, like I, you can sense and, and just see and observe almost unconsciously without having to like diagram it out or put it into some sort of like formal assessment matrix or something like that. that like this person is doing better than, than in the, in these papers than when they weren't right. Mm -hmm. And then also being able to identify like, this is a step down from the first thing you gave me. Like, you know, like what, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to email you and, and, you know, like, Hey, what's going on? Are you doing? And like, there's all kinds of like weird human like factors that you just can't like binder together into some sort of like, end of the year total assessment of any size of group of, of students to like are the kids learning, right? Like you just can't do that. And it's like, you know, strange that there is this like like that, that like at the end of the day that's all we really give a <laughs> shit about, right? Like right. from like a from a political societal level overview of this kind of thing, right? And I just find it, you know, like because I, it has to be different other places, like, like like not having experienced education in other countries, right? Like I assume there's always this kind of like accountability bullshit and graphs that need to be formed. Right. But like at the end of the day, like you know, are other countries that 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 seem to be quote doing better educating their students? Like you know, is it mainly because there is more freedom or capability or trust in the educators themselves on a, like a on a smaller scale to allow that kind of growth to happen? Because it seems to me the only place that it can happen.
2: Yeah. Culturally, we are very different from every article that I'm forced to read (laughs) that uh, talks about all these different, like, you know, ways to teach math or how you should form your reading groups. And whenever they pull from countries that culturally teachers are valued Mm -hmm. so much that the parents are telling their children, you you have to go to school and mm-hmm. you have to respect your teacher. Whereas in America, we want parents to have choice. Mm-hmm. Parents have the choice to, you know, tell their kids it's okay to not respect adults. It's okay. You know, they don't value education mm-hmm. as a whole the way that these other countries do. That, like, the government is trying to compare us. Yeah, and because we
0: have no institutional... Uh, confidence. Right. And like they don't right. s- they they see you and they see that graph. They don't see Anna as like an instructor, you know, that's capable of yeah. improving of assessing and, and coming up with a plan to improve the education of their student
1: individually through the through the next year. Yeah. Like yeah. Well, there's a fun irony in that, right? Because we invented all those standards. The United States wanted to be number one. That's the reason why we come up with all these charts. But all the other countries that are being judged by those same metrics, um, they are teaching to the test in a way that we could only dream of because. The, we we started with the numbers we forced the numbers on them so they still see it through the framing of education whereas we see it through the framing of trying to be number 1 yeah yeah um and there are there are ways in which that does work american education is not as far behind everywhere else as was there was a scare for a while there which seems to have mostly been an anomaly where it seemed like american students were just falling behind in everything and that didn't that didn't seem like it panned out ultimately Yeah, but, uh, but our, te- it, our tests were bad that's all well, I, we just—I mean, it, it was literally there was just like a blip. There was there was a strange year, and it freaked everybody out forever. But the problem is that most other countries, when they get a blip like that, they're like, "Well, we're Greece. Like, what the fuck? We're not. We're going to be thirty-fifth. Like, there's too many countries with more money than us. Like, that's not." Have but you, in a, have you seen our alphabet? But, like, but, <laughs> in, but in America, we have to win. Right. And that produces a lot of perverse results, like what we run into, where you can't let the teachers do you can't let the teachers do what's best for their individual classrooms because every individual can't have the proper insight strategically to know what to do. Right. Or at least we don't feel like that's true. Yeah. I'm getting a beep oh I have a censoring beep going on. Okay, there we go. That's over. Oh, um, that I thought that was me. No, I thought was yeah, my tinnitus. Yeah. No, everyone was uh, we had get, a shared tinnitus a little...
2: moment. <laughs> yeah, my tinnitus.
1: Yeah. No, um but but no, I mean that's that's just it's raw Americanism uh, once again interfering with our ability to do well on our own metrics.
0: Well, but specifically new liberal as well, like the idea that you know we 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 can measure these things, right? Like they, they can be objectively known Right there, there can be, you know, this like broad system that can that can feed us back into this loop, right? To where there is no, right? There is, you know, we will create the institutions that will that will be able to assess and 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 solve this for us, right? Like we will, like because I because there's, I mean, and it is of course like the you know polititiz political po- politicalization, Politicization. Politicization. It's Politicization. a bad word, yeah. Way. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the of, you know, education. Because, you know, what what to argue now is that, like, it's not, like, it's not that we're bad at teaching, but it's, like, what you're teaching is bad.
2: Right. And, that and if is... you keep changing the test, the standardized test every year or every time we take it, then I don't I don't use this. As a metric for how well I'm doing.
0: Exactly. Well, and also like, you know, having lived through three eight year term governors in the state of Florida, every single one of them has been the education governor, right? Jeb Bush, yeah. Rick Scott, fucking Rhonda DeSantis, right? Like they all come in. And so basically like every eight years you're, you know, you're triggering a new process of assessments and putting, you know, like a whole new set, new generation of students and something that will go into effect with the knowledge that it won't be here in eight years. So, like, by the time you basically get good at this new assessment system, like, it will change again. Like, Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the pendulum swings. And I have a, a co-worker, this is her 36th year teaching. Yeah. Um, And she said that, you know, what solidified her knowing that the people in charge don't know what they're doing and it's always going to change is she was on her, like, third curriculum. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it, it's just going to be like this forever. Mm-hmm. And so, like... I've been teaching eleven years, and our county has changed our reading curriculum three times. Yep. That is a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it's and everything in it is changing. It's how you word questions. It's how you have to teach kids how they're going to see a test, and they have to be able to see how things are worded. And if every four years at this point, how everything is worded is different, I have to change. Mm-hmm. I have to fix. All these lesson plans that I made, and then by the time I feel like I'm proficient at it and they're doing well, then it changes.
1: Nope. Yeah. Mastery is impossible. It's one of the it's one of the perverse results of what is otherwise a reasonably good uh, philosophy of industrious optimism, where it, you, there is always the belief that you can improve processes. There's always something you don't know that you can work on. But the, the thing is. There is a counterbalance to that that is completely discarded, both governmentally and in business, since they both operate the same way in America. That kind of makes sense. Um, where you, if you do not develop infrastructural, or um, I guess infrastructural works, I was, I was aiming for the word institutional, and it didn't come out of my mouth. Um, if you build an institutional framework, it has to be in place long enough for you to understand how it works before it can be effective. So. Right. And obviously, a boss does not want to come in and say, "Well, shit, all this stuff's working real well. I guess I'll just mm-hmm. let the money roll." They can't. They cannot do that. Philosophically, right. they're not allowed to do that. Um, so it, this is not just a school thing. This happens every time yeah. my company gets a new boss. We have to change the. We have to change the course of the entire company in a new direction. Yeah. Because otherwise, they don't feel like they're making their money. Yep. Um, and that's that causes that's disastrous a lot yeah. of the time, and it's not even necessarily because they're wrong. It's distinctly possible that those changes need to be made, um, but because they are attempting to just scrap the institutional knowledge that forms the basis of our company's value. Mm-hmm. Because um, any company can come in and do a new thing from scratch. The thing that we have as an institution is institutional knowledge. Yes. Right. That's literally the value we provide. And we throw that away every time we do that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So the best bosses in the world and the best administrators in the world... Um. Are the ones who figure out that there is a better way to do something, that there's a better local maxima, and the thing that they're good at is the pivot—is understanding how to transition from one thing to the other. And uh, none of them—they're all terrible at it. Um, They don't (laughs) because they don't—they don't think about that. Yeah, right. They're too—they're way too far above the process to care about that.
0: No, and it's—it's crazy. I got two things to say. So, like, it's crazy, broadly, right? Like that, if you are. Entering into leadership into an organization that is theoretically doing something and doing something well enough that it's not immediately collapsing <laughs> right? Yeah. Like right. take those assumptions. One is then like, you know, that you have an
1: institution
0: Yeah, that but you know as a good leader, right? Like you need the ability to Know like, you know in a sense like one of the core things and one of the best things you'll need to assess is like what not to Change and that's usually not how people think right like that should right. be like the main thing that you look in is like what do, what don't we need to do here? Um, and let's get what we, and assess what we do well first. Right. Whereas like normally it's like, what do we need to change? What's not working well? And like understanding your strengths is the core thing. The second thing i propose, David, is that like from an individual analysis of like an individual actor stepping into a leadership position, they make decisions that are more about like imposing their own authority within that institution. Right. Right. Like how do I shore up my position?
2: I'm in charge now. Yes.
0: Yes. So funnily, um, you know, like one of my exes, she was in an, or, she was in an institution, an organization, um, and they brought in this new person. And what we found out early on was that like, he, um, had, was like, liked Machiavelli and I'll put that in, in air quotes, right? Mm. Like he liked Machiavelli. And as someone who had, like, you know, read The Prince and, like, you know, had, like, researched a lot of this stuff as well, we, like, were able, I'm like, all right, so, you know, let's see, you know, here, here's how the, he Machiavelli talks about power and how he talks about, like, what a prince needs to do, right? And The Prince is about how does a prince survive in an organization that mm-hmm. is, like, ruthless and bloodthirsty, I maybe Allah like, capitalist. And so, like you know, like as far as like cutting off any sort of, of, uh, of changes, um, not discussing changes and then implementing them and, um, and seeing how they flush out. Like we could, you know, I'm like preparing for what was going to happen. And then we'd come back over the series of like two months while this person was coming in. And of course, like, it was just this like ham fisted, you know, in a sense, making decisions that created minor little crises for that person to then, take as an advantage for them to reinstate their authority and shore up their position. Sure. Right. And like, you know, that's not effective. Like it made, I mean, it, especially in terms of like, you know, like once again, like the, the, the thinking was incredibly short term, right? Like there was a huge amount of turnover. And of course, like what ended up happening was that like, there was this like short term boost to whatever, you know, the productivity, i.e. the sales and products that were happening. But at the end of the day, like by after a year of this, Like, there's massive amounts of turnover, which means you lose institutional knowledge, which means that the numbers were, you know, failing again as well. Um, And then, you know, like, there was a market blip that happened, and it's like, he's out. He's gone. Like, because, like, he had no ability to develop the strength of an organization that could withstand any sort of exogenous shock. And just, like, did stuff to make them seem more powerful. Mm -hmm. And, like... That's, you know, ultimately the issue. There should never be that much authority in those people. That's why you need democracy in these organizations. Like, way for people to defend themselves against these kinds of tyrannical, dare dare I say, uh, motives. And
1: and businesses are built in a highly constitutionalized way that is designed to diffuse that power. It's just that the people at the top have a very long time and are very smart, and uh, they they figure out how to screw around it. I Mm -hmm. mean, the, the board structure at companies has to be corrupted pretty massively to result in the perverse incentives that we get to and uh, sure enough they can put they put in the legwork mm-hmm. to generate that corruption. It's one of those it's one of those things where I, I I I can't help myself I do have it's not a specifically libertarian bent but I don't I, I don't really have that much of a bone to pick on paper with free market capitalism except for how much fucking work it is to make it function the way that it's supposed to on paper. And no one is willing to put in the work to make that happen. Free markets are not intrinsically capitalistic. Capitalism accrues and monopolizes. It does not like free markets. Competition is supposed to be the salve for that. It is the way that you make sure that those forces sort of play off each other and generate some value. But they don't want to do that. So if you are not if you don't have a method of external control mm-hmm. to force them to do that, they will not do it, which is what unions are, mm-hmm. which is what trade, like there's there's all kinds of other extra market organizations that are necessary to make that work. Um, which is too complicated to explain to a Democratic voter. Yeah. So you
0: just don't. Well, but it's also a conversation that, like, people aren't capable of, like, would not understand
1: what you were trying to explain to them. Like, Without significant yeah. education. Yeah, exactly. Which no one is incentivized to provide. <laughs> <No, no. laughs> so, yeah.
0: Well, no, because it's, it's strange. Because, you know, you've talked before, and, and, and no shade to your current employer, right, about, like, how you know in the in the on the on paper theory of profit maximization like you know we wouldn't be making the decisions we were making if we if that was our basis right like because like the pressures obviously of like stock i think like you know like there's like stockish you know stock prices and then of course like the individuals and and the factions within it within any business organization of like survivability and just like you know gentlemen we have to protect our phony baloney jobs like yes. you know like that is ultimately what you know Like how much, I guess I would like to ask someone like how much time do you think each worker is honestly thinking and considering with the decisions they have about the profitability of the organization they're a part of? Like what, what part of their rational, of their rationalization of their decisions, um, are encompassed by that, and I'd say it's like very, very small. Like, it's
1: it is reasonably small, but part of that is because Jack Welch poisoned this a okay. long time ago with his concept of shareholder value, where right. where the the joint stock company. Um, (laughs) corrupted capitalism by uh, bringing in this idea that it's not merely that you're attempting to be profitable as a company, you are attempting to improve the market capitalization of your company. Right, yeah. And that abstraction is very poisonous because Mm -hmm. it is short-termist in a way that even profit maximization is not. Profits honest profits in particular are really fucking difficult to make yes. in a competitive environment. So this is, And this is where this off-gassing of capitalization came from. And I'm sure that's what most of the executives at my company are mostly concerned with. They're looking at the stock price, not the profit. Price. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And what's interesting is that, and it's one of the reasons why I still feel comfortable at the company that I'm at, is that I, I am in this weird sweet spot, zen, like zen, mm-hmm. of being in the middle where all i have to do to feel like i'm contributing to the company in a very basic terminology because i don't quote unquote produce anything customer facing and i'm not doing organizational work um i am functionally an in-house consultant so as long as i am improving the profit margin of our company by more than its current percentage Plus my salary, I'm worth. <laughs> I'm worth employing. Yeah, and that's almost that's almost literally measurable yeah. in a way that almost that virtually no one else in the company can do. Right, like absolutely. nobody else can do that because no one no one can take my work from me. We have X number of project managers. You can't axe one of them and hope that morale holds up so right. that you distribute the work between them to squeeze a little. You can't do that with me. Right, you could if there were five of me. There's one. Yeah um so i'm in i I'm in this again I, I I fall in the cracks. It's like all of the uh the 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 uh, podcasters that talk about um throwing down capitalism and their excuse for their job is that they're artisans that they yeah. that they have moved <laughs> out of the entire paradigm. I sort of have too and as as i'm as I enjoy. Prodding at you about I'm like the most anti-union employee yes. at my company because I take employee gripes yeah. and mediate and improve them. Yeah, um, you, well, said, no. you said you uh, said it was yesterday. You're like being you know, a fucking release valve. Yeah, no man, it's <laughs> what you are. No, it's funny because like
0: you know, like just talking and existing in the current system that we have, right? Like there, like theoretically, there could be you know, and I'm sure there are like businesses or or, or that like. Unions aren't the answer for, right? Like, and, you know, ironically, these would be like, you know, in, in theory, like private companies that didn't have the pressures of, you know, market capitalization, stock price kind of shit. And the owners are comfortable making, you know, six to ten times the salary of their average worker. um, And, you know, profit margins year over year, roughly two to four percent, right? Like yeah. just a perfectly functioning, capable, healthy, you know. Profitable organization with inequality that is not exa- exacerbated by like the the insanity of like market pressures. Like, and
1: this is why Costco is the best business yes, on earth. But
0: also why like those you know like in you know really since the eighties, the United States have like you know fi- the the fi- the financial industry has become like just insane, insane, insanely good at identifying those things, and then just like wholesales destroying them, yeah. like, into their own model, like, just to, like, yeah. yeah, we know what those companies look like, those are the tasty treats that we can fucking, you know, maximize shareholder value with, and it's yeah. like, you know, like, that's, I think, part of the problem, but, like, once those are gone, they're gone, like, they're, they there won't be that kind of, you know, um, you know, desire to want to, like, implement these things now that, like, you know, our society has gone insane, and the people that would, like, normally start, like, because you've got to be insane to start a small business in this country, to start with like, and then now like, if
1: you have traditional aims for it, yes. If you're just yeah. trying to get acquired, that's different. Yes. No, no. Just starting an actual run of the mill day by day business. Yeah. No, that's an absolute ordeal.
0: Now. No, I know. And it's like, yeah, I know some people who do the same thing I do. We could like collectivize together and like do this and like, you know, like make some money doing this. Like, you know, like some money, not all money, like all of it. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, and it's just strange because you know I think one of the weirdest things now and and uh, and TikTok I think and and the short video culture has like really made it accessible to like see the kind of like hyper-capitalized lifestyle that like we're kind of like living through right now that and um you know the idea of like side hustles and my favorite my favorite term of passive income I love this like <laughs> I love this term so much because it completely you know upends any idea that like people earn money by like innovating doing good things and working hard it's like no like what if you just like took your capital and like you know did a thing with it and then it just like made money for you through while other people did the work for you and you did nothing you just sat by passively and it's like <laughs> god almighty and um the phenomenon of like drop shipping have you heard of this thing as well oh, yeah. where there's like there's literally no innovation that goes into it it is just like no i will put an x amount of work to create something that happens and then i can also just completely subcontract out for a percentage everything that i could just initially kind of generate and set up and t- and, and literally like just tinker with well it
1: happen well i mean drop shipping is it's in the same vein as most other content creation, it is marketing. That is the thing you're doing. Is you're you're taking a and product, that's not labor. That's not work. What?
0: Like I'm sorry. Like,
1: so, <laughs> I mean, we, we can argue about that. I wouldn't argue it all that hard. But they, um <laughs> but but that is that is functionally what it is. Is you're taking a product that already exists and attempting to bring it to a new market. Sure. Uh, that's that's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and again, is that worth a percentage? No. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> certainly not the way that it's normally performed. Ugh. But no, all these terms are coming up and uh people are getting marginally educated about them and it's uh generating even more uh, cynicism. So that's yeah. cool. I like that. Well, uh, but
0: I think too, right? Like the I don't
1: like that to be clear. That was
0: sarcasm. No, and but what's also fascinating is then like the, the 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 you mentioned it specifically in the realm of content creation. I think that's wise to think because what is spurring those things on is very much like the The multi-level marketing of like, I've done this, let me show you how, which is where like all those short form videos. So it's like, you know, the real way to get into this is like, you know, to to be a content creator that teaches people how to do how to create the content that you say they're going to create for you. Right. Like, you know, like I can really make a lot of money in drop shipping, not by doing drop shipping, but like you know, uh, uh, coaching or like helping or creating content about yeah. drop shipping like that. That's no, it's real... always, you,
1: you teach yoga instructors. You don't become a yoga instructor. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's the virus that has gotten my kids and they're only nine mm-hmm. is yeah. being some kind of media creator influencer. The every year, the past couple years, the percentage of kids who tell me that that's what they want to do is just steadily increasing. Yeah, yeah. It's horrifying.
0: I've got, you know, we not naming names. I've, I have a, a friend, they have children and one of the things they were doing when they were around for the holidays was she was making like the um, weaved friendship bracelet things yeah. out of paracord. Yeah. And <laughs> they were trying to help her understand like how much um, time they were having, they were making her time how she was doing this activity so that she could understand that if she had to sell it how much how much like she would she would sell it for to account for her labor and then he's like oh well it's this amount of string and this cost us so they were like like and i'm like that's, you're, you're teaching insanity like don't please don't do this to your dog like, like oh my god like there will be nothing fun she'll be the most
1: joyless person in the world that's also not how pricing has worked since the 1700s yeah no no, they're classic. They're they're, they're classic liberals, uh, yeah. very much. Yeah. <laughs> no, and in case you're wondering how we're going to slip out of this one, um, in the middle of recording a podcast, complaining about all this, um, I don't care if you listen to this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't.
1: I'm not worried. I'm, I'm not concerned with your opinion on this. In fact, if you leave one, I might delete this video. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think the funny thing is too is that like we
0: made movies, right? Like and it, like you, you're not allowed to see them. No. You no, know, we're not. We don't have them up. No.
1: Yeah. Only friends. Yeah. Only my friends get to see my movies. Yeah. People were like, have you put them on YouTube? You could get a private link. I'm like, no. No. Absolutely not. No, I not don't, a lot no. Google, Google doesn't get to see any of these. No. Apple, if they have a back door key to lose <laughs> iCloud, I guess maybe they
2: might. But other than that,
1: <laughs> no. And it's, it's, it's better this way. Absolutely. We'll make a quote-unquote honest buck doing something quote-unquote productive for society and then make, make shit yes. on the weekends. That's the way that's supposed to work. Unless you're a teacher and you provide direct value to society, in which case you get punished with a low salary and the disrespect of all your parents. But, you know. oh yeah. Yeah, that's fucking criminal. Jesus Christ. What a country. Yeah, but it's only fair.
2: <laughs> that's what I've told myself. So that's, what, that's what gets me up in the morning. It's fair. Time to go to work.
1: That's what you get for having a meaningful job, all yeah. right? Yeah. you can't have it all. But you guys are homeowners, right? Like Yeah. Oh, there you go.
0: Like that's all you needed. That's the, yeah. There you go. Fairness achieved.
2: Yeah. Patrick uh luckily has a job also. That makes more than me. Although for a little when I first started, I think I made like 10,000 more than he did.
1: That's depressing. Yeah. Um, but,
2: you know, so I guess in the on the state level cuz this is when he was a prosecutor, you start out low, but he I would say twice a year was getting like a raise. So he was able to make much more. And I've been making my current salary for five years. Four. Yeah. We get bonuses.
0: One time payments.
1: Yeah.
2: One time. Yeah. But we're, my salary has not gone up.
1: I, I, maybe this is just a result of, the single corporate culture that I've been steeped in my whole life. I don't think. I think bonuses should be illegal. I'm not a. I'm, oh, not, I'm not a fan. I it. can't preach yeah. it. I do not. <laughs> fuck. My paycheck needs to be exactly the same every time. I don't like this hourly thing. This is. I want to know exactly the amount of money that's coming. And I'm. I'm reasonably confident that hourly wage work. Is while uh, not everyone, but there are probably a lot of people that live paycheck to paycheck that wouldn't if they knew how much fucking money they were going to have. Yes. Um, but the fact that it literally varies every time and they get checks at the end of the year that apparently in some cases are equivalent to like multiple weeks of salary, mm-hmm. that's. That's got to be incredibly destabilizing for people that don't have savings. Yeah, like, because you'll never know if that if it's actually going to come and yeah. what yeah. amount it is. Like you can't no. plan around that at all. Like that's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. One world government. That is a segment. Um, we'll have to get Jacob in here for that. That'll be that'll be easier to get him on. Um, is if if we're gonna if we're gonna espouse this supranational institution. We do need to start laying down what the rules are. Absolutely. That, and it's not going to be that many. I think there's probably about 600 things <laughs> in total <laughs> that they're going to enforce. But they're going to enforce it at the barrel of a gun, yes. uh, to use the libertarian expression. And that will be justified. T20 screws are out. <laughs> none of those. Absolutely none. Um, yeah, things like that. Um, and these, these, these will improve my life, which okay. is the one that I live. so that's the one I care about. Um, is there anything else we want to cover before we uh, close this out? Anything else on the union teacher or uh, otherwise looking forward front for 2024? Has everybody's resolutions already fallen off? It is two weeks in, so you're clear to just drop them now. but no. uh, I always trick my re- I do
0: my resolutions on things I know I have to do. Or that are inevitable. Good so, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, mine I are always, is teaching related. Yeah. So,
2: what I'm are doing, they? I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, for well, last year, I, my resolution was um, to have a harder focus on uh, teaching soft skills, which you know I have so many minutes in a day, and they're all taken up by obviously teaching academics, and so my, hard skills. My, my goal was to have a set. Was to do more soft skills, so I did it, but I I didn't give myself a schedule, and I thrive on schedules. So now I I have a dedicated, it's it's ten minutes two times a week. Mm-hmm. Hard which soft is a, which skills. Is a lot. Yeah, that's twenty minutes a week out of my schedule. But that's if I get into the routine, my kids will get into the routine, and then I'll we'll be able to, hopefully, make them better better little people. Yeah.
1: What kind of soft skills are we talking?
2: Uh, team. So I had them pick like pillars of like, as a group, what do you think that we need to work on? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we picked uh, teamwork, empathy, uh, confidence, and uh, self-responsibility. And so those are, are the four things that we're working on.
1: Nice. None of those, uh, I guess teamwork might involve trust falls. Would you do trust falls with nine-year-olds? Absolutely not. Okay, that's what right. I figured.
0: Yeah, well, then fail the empathy test.
1: (laughs) Uh, Do you do any of those on Friday? Can I come in for any of those soft skill things? Because I could probably use some tune-ups. Do you want me to teach you soft skills? Yeah, that'd be all right.
2: right. You teach math, and I'll teach you soft skills. That's
1: right. That's a good trade. I would take that deal. Uh, Yeah, I'll probably do it. I'll go take a nap and... uh... Oh, nap time! Yeah, let's go. Yeah, it's like what? It's twelve fifty. It's definitely nap time. Let's go. Speaking of one world governments, <laughs> <laughs> Article Three imposed naps. Yeah, is Spain the... got one thing Siestas. right in that godforsaken empire's history, <sighs> and it's the siesta. No, I, I just real quick.
0: All right, so I want to close. I know we got naps to look forward to. Yeah, sorry. I. So I'm always. I'm always. Su- it is very strange. On you know, and, and I know it's not total. Right. But like Thanksgiving, Christmas, sometimes New Year's, right. Like that, like things are closed when they would normally be open. Right. And I know it's like grocery stores, banks and stuff like that. But like, you know, I things, I think we should close more things more, more frequently. Like that, like, you know, you, you just don't have the ability to go do that. Right. Cause it was like, I'm like driving around on Christmas day and I'm like, oh, there's something I need. I'm like, no, you can't have it. You just can't have it. You're not allowed to have it. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, you're done. And like, hey, I think we need... Just as the mental exercise. Well, yeah. if there's one thing feudalism got right, it was like basically like 40% of their calendar was like va- was like holidays yeah. where like nothing was open. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, you know, like I, I agree we could, you know, rationalize that system a little bit better, but like it is definitely a good system. So, yeah. But it's like, coming back, so... Yeah, because they're not actual weekends if we're all not off. Like that's my point. That's my point. Oh you know? yeah. Like you know, nobody should be working on the weekends, ever. And uh, yeah, and that's me. final. Yeah, fight me. Yeah. yeah. Article three.
1: No Article. weekends. Everyone's off. Article three is jam packed with
2: <laughs>
1: provisions. So, all right, we'll get on that. I'll probably get that done before film three. So anyway, uh, until then, nap time. And Orion, thanks for being part of the machination.